for me to be with you on this very special day. Andrew tells me we had 894 here this morning. I thought there were at least 900 here this morning, so that's what I'm going to report as I go back to Henderson, okay? I want to thank uh, Kevin Mann for doing a great job in putting together the day. I'm sure a lot of you have worked with him, but Kevin, along with David, has been my contact person, and I'm very grateful for their leadership on it and also for the beautiful prayer a few moments ago, Kevin. And Andrew, for the singing, all of you, I thought I was in chapel on the Greatest Command song. Now, we have 1,500 undergraduate students this year. That's the most we've ever had for a total of 2,030, counting our graduate students. We have a booming graduate program. The school is really growing and doing well. And we're so thankful for all the alumni. I could start, but I'd be in trouble by overlooking someone. We've got a lot of alumni here, and that's one of the reasons why I love coming. And all of these future students that I look forward to having and giving A's in classes like Life of Christ and Acts, oh, I'm going to have a lot of fun. I've often said I have children around the world. That's true because I love these guys like they're very, my, my very own. By the way, one of the nice things that your elders did three or four years ago, well, probably not that long ago, two or three years ago maybe, but they sent me a very nice letter one day commending David and Andrew and Phil. And I don't remember quite receiving a letter like that before. Of course, it's unusual. It's not unusual for us to have two men working together in one congregation from our school, but it is a little unusual to have three like these three along with Tracy and Catherine, and we're still praying for Phil, okay? You know. But I'm sure she's going to be here you know, someday. And uh, he's bringing down a great group to Rush next weekend. That's, a, that's an excellent program. Danny Sorrell, David, is going to be the, he was in school with you. Uh, boy, these guys are just uh, my favorites, and I'm so proud of them. And uh, the future at Mount Juliet is bright as well as the present. Uh, because of all of you and because of your leadership and these young men who are serving in these roles. And I, I know there are others as well, but it's an honor to be with you. My mother is here uh, tonight that I mentioned this morning, and uh, she has uh, quite a story in her life. Uh, she is now a member in these recent years since uh, first moving from Woodbury to Murfreesboro and then from there to the Brentwood-Franklin area. I have a sister in Brentwood who is one of those pillars at the Concord Road Church, and now Mama is too. Uh, that's where they are. Some of you are familiar with that good congregation. Some years ago when Mama was still in Murfreesboro and I was holding a meeting back in our home, Cannon County, all through these years, if there was a, a, a meeting in Middle Tennessee, including both of the meetings that I've had with Mount Juliet in the past, I would always be able to stay with her, and what a tremendous privilege and pleasure that's been for me. But one day, for the first time ever in my life, as we were cleaning up from lunch one day, I said to her, you know, Mama, five girls, eight years difference between Nancy and me, Nancy is the fifth girl in our family, and she thought she was through, and then eight years later, I come along, the only guy in this group. I made this marvelous observation. I said, y'all didn't plan to have me, did you? 
Now, my mother is from the old, old school. You know, you tell it exactly like it is, no commentary needed. Boy, without any hesitation whatsoever, she says, we didn't plan to have any of you, it just happened. <laughs> and she's still telling it like it is. But I, I want to tell you that no one, no son could ever be more proud of a mother than I am of her. And I'm so grateful that she continues to be, along with my wife, Joan, my greatest encouragement in this great work. But thank each of you for being so encouraging, too. I want especially to address these precious young people tonight. I suggested way back in April or May to David, I thought it would be a good idea after we close a day like this with that kind of emphasis. You know, there are congregations who who have great youth groups like you do and sometimes have an entire series of lessons just for their young people. It doesn't mean that we older folks can't show up too, but it just says we believe in these young people and we want them to have very special emphasis and feel I am very, very proud of you and the great work that you're doing. And I know it'll only get greater and the group will get larger. But as I think about a statement that Jesus made near the end of the Sermon on the Mount, where not to any age in particular, to all of us, he says, enter in by the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many are they who enter in thereby. For small is the gate and narrow the way that leads unto life, referring to eternal life, and then this tragic statement that is so true, few are they who find it. That reminds me of one of America's most beloved poets in an observation that he made later in life reflecting back upon his youth. When Robert Frost closes The Road Not Taken with these familiar words, they sound somewhat similar to the words that Jesus just said. Frost observed, I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence. Two roads diverged in a wood, and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. A number of years ago, there was a Broadway play in New York by the name of Godspell. It was a musical based upon, loosely, I'm afraid, but a musical that was based upon the parables of Jesus. Some of you recall the theme song that came from that play called Day by Day. And I'm attracted to that because of the prayer that the song really is. The lyrics go like this, Day by day, day by day, oh dear Lord, three things I pray to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, and to follow thee more nearly day by day. I like to call those three expressions steps along the road that has a narrow gate, a small gate, and a narrow way that leads unto life eternal. We are wise when we choose that gate and that way. Because that is where Jesus is, that's where he leads us, 
And he is even now at the right hand of his father preparing a place in a house that has numberless rooms, a place for all of us who are preparing to be there. May I suggest, first of all, to see thee more clearly day by day is a step along the road that is less traveled in the world in which we live. I want to suggest three ways in which we can see Jesus more every day. First of all, when you see the world that God through Jesus has created in all of its splendor, and we're about to embark on what many of us believe to be the most beautiful season of the year. Isn't it wonderful to think as we leave summer, we have the fall to anticipate with colors that are indescribable. But as you look at all the evidence that is available, you'll remember that John says about Jesus in John 1, 1 through 3, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the same was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that has been made. I left Henderson this morning at 5.45. I do not recommend that on a regular basis. But one of the beauties of that was knowing that I would be coming east would see the beauty of the sunrise. I don't see that terribly often, you understand, but I never grow tired of it when I do. And in particular, watching the sun go down in the evening is something else that is beautiful to behold. And when the sky is clear in the darkness of night and the moon is full and when it is surrounded by an unbelievable arrangement of stars, oh, how in the world could a person be an atheist in a world so filled with evidence of creation? There is a story that Brother L.R. Wilson, a famous Dallas preacher of a number of years ago, used to tell in one of his lessons. He said that there was a boy that was being raised in a Christian home, just like these precious young people, and yet this boy went off to State University when it came time to go to college. And at the end of the first year, he came home and after supper one night went out on the front porch to sit with his dad. And his dad was eager to hear about the first year of college. The dad had not had the opportunity to do that. And so he wanted to hear about what his boy had learned and how he had grown and developed. And in the midst of the conversation, the young man broke his father's heart when he said, Dad, I don't believe some of the things that I used to believe. And he said, well, what do you mean? He said, well, at the university I have learned that the only thing that you can know for sure are the things that you learn through your senses. So when it comes to the subject of God, I cannot see God, I cannot hear God, I cannot smell God, I cannot taste God, I cannot put my hands out in the air and touch God, so I cannot know for sure that there is a God. That father was incredibly wise when he said, Son, I want to use your very same logic in coming to the conclusion that you have no brains. And the son did not appreciate that at all. 
And he responded by, come on, Dad, I'm serious here. He says, I am too. I can't see them. I can't hear them. I can't smell them, taste them, or touch them. So you must not have any. And the son thought about that. And after a moment of silence, the father said, Now, son, I know that you have brains. Because of all that you know and all that you're capable of doing, but I also know where those brains came from. There is a God in heaven, and I see him everywhere. And would you believe the wisdom of that father saved that boy's soul? One way in which we see the Lord every day is by taking the time to smell the roses, to look at the creation that is around us. And again, even though we don't understand the storms that create tragedy, we believe in the one who is in control even of devastation and who brings healing and who brings reconstruction and who continues to be the Lord of life and of death. The second way in which we can see Jesus is in this marvelous book, in particular, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. I have the incredible good fortune, and that's exactly what it is, every fall semester to have 130 most of first-time students in the class Life of Christ. Some of those students are here. Every fall, that is as fresh to me as it was the first time of teaching it. Every time, I'm the one that benefits from it the most. And every time, somewhere during the course of the semester, I will exclaim, how in the world can someone who comes to know this man not love him? All you have to do is to keep reading over and over and over again, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And if you don't come to love the Lord, the problem is not with him. So when I look into this beautiful book that is, in fact, our guide through life and to heaven, and I see someone who was incomparable in compassion, there never was one person that he turned away. And when I see his incredible courage, even when he goes to the Garden of Gethsemane and falls down upon the ground, crying as he prays, Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, what you will and not what I will. And because the father said no to his own son three times, you and I are here tonight in the church for which Jesus died. When we see him go to the cross, actually praying for those who are responsible for the nails going into his precious flesh, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. If we're not brought to tears about that, I don't know what would do it. And then as he promises paradise for a penitent sinner, and as he concludes by saying, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit, knowing that he had fulfilled everything that his father sent him in the world to do, 
Oh, how we love him. In fact, there was a man at the foot of that cross taking care of the Lord's mother, the Apostle John, the disciple that Jesus loved, who many years later, when he is writing the book we know as 1 John, says in 1 John 4.10 as well as verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. Oh, how we should love him. But first, we must see him each and every day more clearly. And then the third way that I see Jesus every day is in people like you. When Paul said, Christ in you, the hope of glory, he's referring to those who share a like precious faith. It is one thing to believe what the Bible teaches about God the Father and Jesus the Son, the Holy Spirit, the redeemed of the ages, the angelic host, and all of that. It is another thing to be in the company of so many people who share that very same faith. There are days when I'm not as strong as I should be. There are days when perhaps I am able to help someone else who's not as strong as they should be. That's what it means to be brethren. We're brothers and sisters in the same family. And what that means is we have unbelievable blessings, but we also have outstanding responsibilities to each other. It means something to me to be your brother. It's not just a title. We are redeemed by the blood of Christ that makes us kin. And I want to be faithful to that. I want to be faithful to you because so many people are faithful to me. So when I think about those relationships, when I think about being a student at Fried Hardeman and having heroes, not just on the faculty, but among the student body, early on, I could see Jesus is here. I see him every day. It doesn't mean the place is perfect. There are some students who have to be sent home on a very rare occasion, not very often. But it is a place where Jesus lives. And when we work together in the church, that's where we see Jesus too. And as we take him home with us tonight, that's where our children have the chance to see him too all the time. In fact, we see him in them, do we not? And so when I think about seeing Jesus more clearly every day, in his world, in his word, and in his people, the evidence is there. By the way, there's occasionally someone who disappoints us. It doesn't mean that he doesn't exist. If they choose to go otherwise and it breaks our heart and they refuse to listen to encouragement and they're not penitent it doesn't mean that the Lord is not still there it does mean that he gives us the very precious right to choose for ourselves who is going to be our Lord secondly the song says to love thee more dearly day by day. You know, that's supposed to what's, what's supposed to happen in our, in our marriages, right? In our family. We are a family unit that grows in love for each other a little bit more every day. And as I think about the 
passage from which the song, The Greatest Command, comes from, I remember the question that was asked of the Lord in that last week of his life. What is the first and great commandment? All of those questions there in passages like Matthew 22 and Mark 12 were asked from insincere motives. But I'm glad they were asked because the answers that Jesus gives to all of them are priceless. And he says, well, the greatest command is to love God with all of your heart, with all of your mind, with all of your soul, with all of your strength. He gave more than the lawyer, that is the expert in the law of Moses, wanted when he said the second is likened unto it, love your neighbors yourself. And that's a whole other lesson. But let's think about the four components of this love, this kind of love that we're supposed to love God with, and of course love Jesus with as well. To love the Lord with your mind is that you devote your mind to the things that belong to God, that belong to the Lord. It means the study of the Word of God, but also the application of that Word of God to life. So when Paul says things like in Philippians 4, 8, if there be any truth, if there be any purity, if there be any excellence, think on these things. We show our love for God by the way we think. Now, we can be the kind of people that are like the char character that Shirley MacLaine played in Steel Magnolias. What was it, Weezer? Do you remember Weezer who explained in the course of the movie? If you haven't seen this, you need to rush out and rent it, okay? In the midst of the movie, she explains her disposition, you know, and there are some people like this. She says, I'm not mad, I've just been in a bad mood for 40 years. Listen, we don't want to be that way as members of the family of God. That character was not only getting up on the wrong side of the bed, she was born on the wrong side of the bed. We can control the way we think. We can control the way we feel. When our object is God's love for us and our love for Him in return, we think on things that are pleasing to Him. That means there are some things we will not allow to go into our minds. I remember one of the stories that comes from the Civil War when the Confederate President, Jefferson Davis, called General Robert E. Lee in one day for his evaluation of a fellow general. General Lee's estimation of this man was superb. One of General Lee's underlings after the meeting was over said, Sir, do you not know what that man says about you? He says, Yes, but the president asked me my view of him, not his view of me. There's a reason why that that man was one of the greatest in American history that kind of character. And when Jesus calls us to see him, if you really see him, especially high and lifted up on the cross, how can we not love him? To love with the heart means that not only do we think of him, but we feel emotion as a result of what we know. If you stop to think about it, 
If the Lord told us to love only with the mind and not with the heart, then our Christianity would be an intellectual thing only and not an emotive thing. We need both. We don't want to be cold intellectuals. We also don't want to be someone who is only emotional without knowledge. So where you have a balance there, you have the gospel. And then to love with the soul is to love with the very life that is within you. Have you heard that statement that was made by the late C.S. Lewis in one of his books? And boy, this is especially important for young people because we have such an emphasis upon our physical bodies. And they're not the only ones. We do too. But the physical body is important and appearance is important. But in one of his observations, Lewis says, you are not a body. You have a body. What you are is a soul that is presently living in that body. That's very important to remember. When we love the Lord with our souls, we're willing to give our very lives for Him. And we have a number of great examples in Scripture who did just that. And also people we have known who have done just that. And then to love Him with the strength especially with the strength of youth, how wonderful it is to become a Christian young in age so you can give all of your life to the church, give all of your life to the work of the Lord. It is the greatest life. It is the greatest work. But very quickly, to follow thee more nearly, day by day, I think that expression says to us, we're not perfect and we never will be. We're going to have our successes as members of the family of God, but we're also going to have our failures. But every day, if we can do just a little bit better job of following closer to the Lord, and remember when he said to those who were following him, looking for the next meal or looking for the next miracle, and he said to them, if you're going to follow me, here's what it's going to take. You're going to have to deny yourself you're going to have to take up your cross and you're going to have to follow me every day. But where that leads is not being crucified because he's taking care of that for us, but because of that crucifixion, we have the hope of heaven and no one here has begun to scratch the surface of being able to understand how great heaven is is there's a great spiritual that sometimes we sing called there is a bomb in Gilead and it includes this stanza if you cannot sing like angels if you cannot preach like Paul you can tell of the love of Jesus you can say that he died for all and there are limitless ways in which those of us who wear the name of Christ can do that. You don't have to just stand in the pulpit. You do that by who you are and by what you are, by whose you are. Again, Frost looked back upon his life and he made this observation. I shall be telling this with a sigh somewhere ages and ages hence, two roads diverged in a wood and I, I took the one less traveled by, and that has made all the difference. He didn't go the road everyone else was traveling, and neither does the Christian. 
There are interstates out there where the world is going at breakneck speed. The Christian is on the road that is less traveled by. We are saddened by that, by the fewer numbers, but that does not discourage us to the point of getting off that less traveled road. Let's be strong, let's be faithful, let's be earnest. We are one day closer to being with the Lord than we were even earlier today. And so to see thee more clearly, to love thee more dearly, and to follow thee more nearly, one day at a time, that's how we do it. Let's begin now. If we have not already done so, and if we've already done so, let's continue encouraging one another as we wait the Lord's appearing. Tonight we seem to encourage anyone who needs to respond to the gospel invitation. It's an easy process to go through in becoming a child of God with the exception of one thing. You can hear the gospel message and believe it. You can confess with your mouth that you believe it and be baptized. It's hard to repent. And sometimes, even after becoming a Christian and falling back into some of our old patterns and so old attitudes, sometimes it's hard to repent. But it is the Lord that helps us and encourages us, along with our brothers and sisters as we sing, that encourages us to be penitent, whether as a child of God or in coming to be a child of God. Let's stay on the road less traveled as we stand and as we sing.